0: All right, so uh, so I'm, I'm excited for today because we are continuing in our lost series. Uh, last week we looked at, uh, at at God dropping bread from heaven and, and putting quail on the ground, and so God meeting needs, doing doing the things that God does. Um, I hope that, and I've heard from 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 several of you from this week uh, that maybe as we looked at that passage last week, that that it was different than maybe you, you saw some stuff that you'd never seen before. I think we a lot of times we focus uh, on uh, on what God did, which I think in in all of Scripture, is the, importance, uh, is the important uh, aspect of Scripture is, is that God is the provider, God is the sustainer, God is the deliverer. But I think oftentimes we minimize what the people's response is and we try to compartmentalize uh, how the part that 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 God's people play in our faithfulness. Right? God is still going to move. God is still going to work. And I love uh, that uh, that we got an update from our pastor search committee today because because it's a reminder for us, church, that that as you search for your next senior pastor, uh, that uh, that God is still moving, and it may not feel like it. You may not get an update every single week as to what's going on. Um, God is still working, even in. In uh, the times where where we just where we can't see it, Uh, he's still working in in the in the quiet moments. God is still moving and shaking and still working things out. How do we know? Because even in an interim time, we've seen people baptized. Right, we've seen a lot of people baptized. Whether you went to the beach or whether we you know you were here on baptism Sunday, whatever it happened to be, church. God is still moving. All right, so. In the, in the quiet times, we're going to look at, at, at one of those times today. Uh, in the quiet times, it's incumbent upon us to be, uh, to be faithful uh, for you to continue every day to pray for your pastor search committee. Uh, they have a daunting task out of 7.5 billion people. And I heard that on November the 5th, uh, our world will, uh, will eclipse 8 billion people. I don't know how they know it's going to happen on November 5th. That's the coolest thing in the world to me. Like on November 5th, like a baby's just going to pop out. Like they just know. It's like, boom, this is 8 billion, right? 8 billion people. All right. There's one man that God has called to come to this place. And it's not God. And I love what Craig said. It's not about God playing this this, uh, cosmic game of hide and seek. That's not what God does. But God will use the wilderness journey to grow his people. And this church is in a wilderness journey. It's not like the, uh, the Israelites, thank goodness. Uh, thank goodness we have air conditioning. We can do our wilderness journey in air conditioning. Praise God for that. Amen. But, but th- it is a wilderness journey. And so in the middle of those times, so often we want to get to the end. Like, I just want it to be over. I just want it to be over. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know I feel that way every time I go to the dentist. All right, like I just want it to be over. But but God, even in 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 these moments, moments of uncertainty, God is God wants to grow us as a people, so that we will be uh, closer and more like Christ. With the day your next pastor takes the stage, and so let's be faithful to pray for the pastor search committee. Let's be faithful uh, to pray for your staff. Let's be faithful to, to pray that God's will would be done. That we would be faithful in those moments. As a matter of fact, before we get started this morning with the sermon. Can we just take a moment and pray together? Let's just pray for our pastor search committee, pray for our staff, uh, and uh, and pray uh, that God will continue to be faithful as he always has and always will. Father, we love you and we praise you. And God, you are, you are holy, you are righteous, you are good, and you are faithful. And so Father, I thank you for Fort Caroline Baptist Church. I thank you for the work that you're doing in this area. I'm thankful for the The people that live around this uh, this community, God, I'm grateful that this church for years has been a light for the gospel in the midst of of the dark world in which we've been placed. Father, I pray for this pastor search committee, God, they've been they've been trained, they've been set up, they have been praying, uh, but God, I pray that they would know that that we as a church body are praying for them too. That God, that we would that we would be faithful. Uh, to pray for them, to lift them up. God, I pray for this church's next pastor, whomever he happens to be, uh, that God, wherever he's serving, if he's serving currently in, in a local church, um, God, I pray that as he takes the pulpit today, that, that he would know that somewhere, somebody uh, is praying for him and for his family. God, I pray for this church staff as they, they lead in this wilderness journey. God, as you empower them to lead, I pray, Father, that you, would, that you would grow them, that they would know your presence, that they would know hope, God, that they would see the light at the end of the tunnel. God, I pray that they would lead this church well, not for pats on the back or attaboys or atta girls, but it would be for your glory, that your name would be made famous. God, I pray for this church. God, that they would do things they didn't know were possible as you are working exceedingly and abundantly in ways we can't even think or imagine. Father, continue to glorify yourself in the faithfulness of your people. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's big idea as we look at water coming from a rock is this, that that we learn more about God's presence in the tough times than we do in the good times. We do, right? I mean, the good times, you just sort of like, you embrace them, you kind of love them, you kind of, you know, you just kind of like, like get in the middle of them and, and and you go from one experience to the next and they seem to fly by, right? Then you get into these tough wilderness places and you may have walked in, you may have felt like you may have just had an awful week and you walk in and, and you're just like, man, I am just, I am struggling. I need to be encouraged today. Let me tell you something, you're, God can teach you things in the tough times. Now, we looked last week at, at how God provided with manna, how he provided with the quail, how his people kind of grumbled in the midst of all of it, like they just didn't trust. They saw Pharaoh's armies destroyed. They saw uh, God's provision through all these miraculous things that God healed the bitter water at Marah. And, the, and, then, and then all these things that God was doing, they just forgot that God was faithful in the middle of it. And then what we're going to find is that God provide literally the man provides bread from heaven. Provided quail for, for for dinner at night, and God's people still forget. Church, I, I don't want us to get to the place to where we we forget. I, I think today is September eleventh. Uh, Twenty one years ago today, I was in college. Um, I was in college, and I was I skipped uh, my calculus class. I, I didn't skip my calculus class. I I, I, le- I left early because I just didn't like it, and. Um, and I was going to go to the student, student center. I don't mind telling you. Um, I was going to go to the student center. I was going to shoot some pool. And uh, I passed a friend of mine who's actually now an airline pilot. And um, and I passed him in the hallway. And he said, uh, he said, "Did you hear about what happened in New York City?" And. Uh, I, uh, and I said, no, I hadn't heard. He said, and at the time, we thought the terrorists had taken over uh, the World Trade Center. And so I, I go straight to the student center and bypass the pool table, which I didn't usually do. And I went and sat down and was glued to my TV sets, probably just like y'all were for the rest of the day. It's not so much September 11th, I remember. It's really September 12th. For the first time in a long time, churches were full again. And as we, we, kind of the, the hashtag or the, the tag for September 11th over these years has been, never forget. I, I don't know about you. And look, I'm, I, don't, I don't usually preach, pre- preach politics from the pulpit. i to say that three times fast. Um, I don't normally preach politics from the pulpit. But church, can I just make an observation? What we felt on September 12th, when the churches were full, when the altars were packed, Two decades later, I think we've forgotten it. And and, every, and I just did it. I just shared a post from my dad on Facebook um, a little while ago. Where, and I use hashtag never forget. It was the, the call log uh, of uh, Todd Beamer calling from United Flight 93. And I use hashtag never forget. And church, we, I, think we've, I think we've forgotten it. The Israelites made some mistakes uh, at um, this place. It's a, it's a region known as Rephidim uh, they made some mistakes. The things that they had learned through the couple months that they had been in the wilderness, it seemed like at every turn when they had the opportunity to trust God, to follow God, to, to remember all the good things that God had done, they chose to forget those things. And in doing so, they began to grumble. My fear is, is that looking where we are spiritually in our country... We had this opportunity back in 2001 to capitalize on, on that and to truly see revival break. out. And, and my fear is, is that we got comfortable with the churches being full. We thought, man, churches are full again, uh, that God's going to send revival. And, and, and over time, that dissipated. And now, we, to me, I, I believe we're in a worse spiritual condition now than we were before September 11th. And I, I hope that as we look at Exodus chapter 17 today... That we don't repeat the same mistakes that the Israelites made. This this was a place this this place that they called uh, Massa and Meribah, which we're going to get into that in just a moment. Uh, when when they had God had led them into this place that was that was without water. Now they had they had people, they had animals, they had uh, they had all kinds of stuff. As they're wandering through the desert, and so so needing a place for their their animals and their kids and their their parents and their grandparents to be able to drink they come into this place and and there's no water and then you know what they do is they turn around and they they look at Moses and go we told you how many times do we have to tell you that we had it better in Egypt and and, and in the midst of all that they 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 forgot that God was still sovereign that God was still on his throne this place was actually the same place where God appeared to Moses as a burning bush, telling him that you are going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go. It's the same place that, that uh, later that Moses would go up onto the Mount, on mount Sinai and would, would receive the, the law uh, from God, come down with the stone tablets. This, this is one of those places that as a people of God wandered, that became kind of the crux of the Old Testament. The burning bush showed us that God is our deliverer. That the the place at at Oreb where where we see that that Moses is going to strike the rock and and sweet water is going to flow out of it, that God is our sustainer. We're going to see that as Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, that he is our lawgiver. That for some reason in God's sovereignty, that this becomes a crux. This becomes a place where God wants to remind the Israelites, I've got this. And I don't know what you walked in, what kind of baggage you walked in with this morning. But God wants to remind you that whatever you are walking through in this life, God's got this. There's no situation that flows outside of God's hand. Let's read Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And then we're going to look at some of the mistakes that Israel made in hopes that church and good Lord help me. If we walk out of this room today and we decide, man, that was just a marginal sermon. And I think I'm just going to go and like, like go about my day. The Jags kick off at 1 o'clock finally. Like I'm going to go and just forget all of this. Happened. Church, if we forget to, to remember The mistakes that Israel made, we are doomed to repeat them ourselves. Moses writes, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, underlining, uh, asterisking, highlighting, underline uh, that that phrase, according to the commandment of the Lord. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. So they camped at Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why, why, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Like, can you imagine? Like all the things that God's done, Moses is going, what more does the man have to do? What more does God have to do to show you that he's he gonna, gonna be with you? And I mean, can you imagine the exasperation that Moses is feeling? Can you imagine the exasperation God feels with us sometimes? He says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? I get it. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of God and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? I know we shouldn't be this way, but we are. It's a really terrible thing if we get to the place in our lives where we say, is God really here? And, and I know there's days that we feel isolated. There's days that we feel tired. There's days that we feel far from God. Some of that's because of our sinfulness that's driven a wedge between full fellowship with us and God. We know what it feels like to be in full fellowship, but, but our sin has driven us away. Sometimes circumstances in our life, like Peter walking out to Jesus on the water, the storms and the lightning of life come all around us and, and we get focused on those things. And not on Jesus, and we feel like we begin to sink as well. Like, like I, I get that there's days like that that happen. But church, as a believer in Jesus, it's not healthy for us to ask, is God even here? He's already told Israel, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise to Israel, not to the church. However, because we have been adopted into God's people, we've been adopted into the family, we may not be blood kin with the Jews. We are blood bought kin because of our adoption in Christ. The promises for Israel are the promises for us. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. So let's look at the mistakes that Israel made. So maybe we don't make the same ones too. One, they forgot that the Lord provides. So for us to understand this passage in context, because let's focus less on on Moses striking the rock, because quite honestly, in this passage, that is such a small portion of what they're, they're doing here. It's not about Moses. I don't even think it's necessarily about water flowing from the rock, because God has already shown that he can do these miraculous things. He did it with the manna and the quail. This passage really focuses on Israel. And they're, they're forgetting that God provides. So I think for us to understand the passage, we have to ask ourselves a series of questions so that we can understand. Uh, one, let's ask him. Let's ask the question who led them to this place? Who led them here to the place that they're in? What, what's his name? God. All right, God, that's his name. Yahweh, Jehovah. God led them here. How do we know? The verse I just had you underline. Look at verse one. He says, He says, they moved according to the commandment of the Lord. All right, how did they move, right? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. All right, God was the one directing them in their path. Could they have gone directly from the Red Sea, directly to Mount Nebo, and then crossing the Jordan, going into Jericho? Yes, they most certainly could have done that. Why didn't they? We talked about that last week. They had to get Egypt out of the the Israelites, Right. There had to be the, the, the complaining and grumbling had consequences. But regardless, in the midst of, of all of the pain and anguish that the Israelites were going through, was it them? Were they directing their paths? No. A sovereign God was their guide, right? We talked about this last week. The Lord is our guide. He walked them through. He is sovereign. He, he know, uh, we see that, that in Exodus 13, uh, verse 21 and 2, that, that the Lord in his sovereignty led his people to his place for a particular reason. Church, let's get it out of our minds. There are no coincidences with God. God does not work haphazardly. He doesn't luck into a, a particular situation. And the best part about serving and loving a sovereign God is, I love the fact that God is never surprised. God's never had a surprise birthday thrown for him. He knows it's coming. He knows all these things. So when we walk through hard times, there we have to remind ourselves that there are times that God allows us to walk through hard times that we might grow because of it. And we know that he's in control. So who led them here? Well, God did. All right, so who protected the Israelites in Egypt, right? Who's met their need, needs again, again, and again in just a couple months of, of a 40-year exodus? What's his name? God, right? Remember, it was just one chapter ago we saw that God provided these nomadic people with, with food to eat and water to drink. But if we go back even further to Egypt, God protected the Israelites, right? Through the plagues on Pharaoh. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, yeah, you're probably going to need to let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, I don't know about you. That's a pretty big workforce. I don't know that I'm interested in letting y'all go. Moses says, look, man, I mean, this is the Patrick version, but like, I don't think Moses ever said, look, man. Um, but Moses, in, in essence, says, says look, man, you, you, it's not going to end well for you if you don't let my people go. God's willed it. Uh, God is God. You're not. It would be in your best interest to let them go. Moses, or Pharaoh says, I'm really not going to do that. And God says, Fine, I'll step in. And there, you saw these plagues that began to, to, to plague Egypt. And God's people were, natu- were naturally protected. He told his people, Go into your homes, you will be protected. God's always been about protecting His people, even up to the first Passover. Right? You put blood over the you know sacrifice the animal blood over the doorpost, and and the, the spirit the spirit passes over the house of, of the people who are protected. God has always been about protecting His people, but the Exodus shows us that just because God protects us doesn't mean that God will not allow us to to be exposed to hard times. Because church, if all we had were good times, we wouldn't truly see the depth of God's mercy and grace so who allowed them to walk through this well, it was God remember we're less likely to ponder the depths of God's provision in the good times hard times remind us that he's still here the third question is, is so who is the creator of the universe and everything in it can you say his name God, all right, good. You, you notice we're going with church answers here is what, what we're going with. So unfortunately, this story looks like the Israelites forgetting the answer to all of these questions. Look at, at what it says. He says that, that um, verse 2, he says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Like it wasn't, can you think you can make this work? Have you noticed that we don't have any water? Is there, can you talk to God and maybe work something out? No, they began to demand they demanded God provide, almost almost as if there was a chance He wouldn't come through. I don't know what your approach is to a holy God, but that's not the best approach. Church, God has never not come through. Sometimes He doesn't come through in the way we expect or even the way that we want, but we also know that His will is perfect for His people. And even if the answer isn't what we want, the answer is always for our good and most ultimately for His glory. We do that too, right? Like we we go to God with this laundry list of demands. I don't know about you, but some, some days that's what my prayer life looks like. We have this laundry list of things we want from the Lord. When church... When the things that we want from the Lord superseding our desire to just want the Lord himself, it becomes sinful. God wants you to bring your burdens to him. But the ultimate purpose of our encounters with God is to want him. He's going to give us the desires of our hearts. Because church, when, when we seek him, His desires become what our desires are. He's the creator of everything. We should desire what His desires are for us. They forgot the Lord provides, but they also forgot that the Lord defends. Look at verse 3. He says, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. And said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? Right. Got to give the Israelites credit. They had confidence. Can you imagine being the the one that that the Israelites voted to be the spokesperson? I can't imagine. To ask God. Now, granted, they were questioning Moses. But by questioning Moses, who was God's spokesman, they were questioning God. So to question Moses, why... God even chose to bring them up out of Egypt at all, given the atrocities that they endured at the hands of Pharaoh. Quite honestly, church, pretty cocky if you, if you ask me. They, they actually, I, I, my fear is they actually believed that God led them into the wilderness to die. Was it hyperbole? Probably. Were they genuine in their concern? Yes, they were genuine. I feel like they, they likened God to some type of genocidal maniac. Like, you're going to kill off all of your people. You're going to lead us out here, all of your people. Church, again, it's not really the way to go. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, the ultimate act of God providing for his people, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani." My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think in a lot of ways, we... we and, and I, I, I've preached it this way. And, and as God reveals things, I, I just, through his word, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think, I think our sin was so deep. Our sin was so egregious. Think about what Jesus endured on Calvary's cross. All of the sins of, of eternity, from eternity past up until that moment, every sin that would be committed until Jesus returns and sin is no more. Focused in that one moment in linear time. And here's Jesus bearing our sin on his shoulders. And I think it it sickened God to the point that something happened. Jesus, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is actually a, a reference back to Psalm 22. When David, the shepherd, the shepherd king, was feeling separated from God in the wilderness of Engedi. And he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Jesus, any, any Israelite or Jew that was around the cross at this point would know that Jesus, now granted, we're New Testament people and we, don't, we know Psalm 23. We don't always know Psalm 22 and 24. But Jesus was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David would go on. Jesus would end there, but he says, but we see when we look upon the Lord, when we look at what was endured by allowing his only begotten son to endure our punishment, it's a promise that God never leaves us. That while we we can feel like God's not there. We can feel like he's not a part of our suffering. God never leaves. But church, sometimes we become so distracted by the other things going on around us that we forget that God is still there. We forget that he is our defender. He is our high priest who went into the holy place to make restitution for our sin. He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, so we wouldn't have to. That God would never leave us and He would never forsake His church. I, we may feel alone in our own personal desert. I don't know what that is for you today. But we are never truly alone. The Lord is always there fighting for us, defending us, ministering to us, and providing for our needs. But finally today, we see that the Lord also remains Look at verse 7. The Israelites asked Moses if the Lord just simply got tired and walked away. He said, is the Lord even among us or not? It's a picture of Psalm 95. You see in verses 7 through 11, the psalmist writes, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at meribah we get a picture into what the israelites were dealing with their hearts had become hard he said do not harden your hearts as at meribah as on the day of massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work for 40 years i loathed that generation can you imagine for 40 years i loathed that generation not all of them but a generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. What I love about Psalm 95 is that it shows us a piece of God's heart. Church, it grieves him when we feel like in the hard times, we can't trust him. Can I ask you a real honest question today? What more does God have to do to prove his faithfulness to you? What more does he have to do to remind you that he's there? Right? So, we asked these questions earlier about who really is in charge, and the answer to every single one of those questions was that the Lord himself. And so, church, to not trust the Lord in the hard times essentially means that we feel like we can do things better than he can. What a danger. What arrogance to think we can do it better than the Lord can. In Numbers chapter 20, we see a, this. it's not just the first generation of believers that grumble against God. Now, Moses is going to make mistakes in, in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, he, he figures if he did it, if he struck the rock and water came out once, if he strikes it twice, it would be even better. And because because God did not will him to do that, he went against the will of the Lord. And God says, look, you're not going to be able to get into the promised land because of it. Because, of, of, because you represent me and you chose to walk away from me. So I, I won't allow you to come in. Church, there, there is, but we're going to find that, that because of this, Moses was pushed to this by the people. Their complaining had a generational effect. Church, for the adults in the room, there are kids that are over here. If they hear you complaining about what's going on in God's house, they're going to wind up growing up to be a generation of complainers. Complaining is not natural. It is a learned behavior. But for us, we hold fast to Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Where the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And the sin which, sit, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, the question for us is how do we keep from forgetting the Lord's faithfulness? It's simple. We fix our eyes on Christ. In the good times and the hard times. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. He died, church, so we might live. In Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, um, God was giving his people the dimensions of the land where each tribe was going to, 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 uh, to camp and it was going to be their own place. And at the very end of the chapter, he says, the circumference of the city, this is God's city, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. And the name of that city from, from that time on shall be Jehovah Shammah. It's a very simple translation. That is, the Lord is there. What a promise for us. Last week, he was Jehovah Jireh. He was our provider. This week, he is Jehovah Shammah. Even in our grumbling, even in our complaining, even though the process of sanctification hadn't worked its way out, in your darkest time, the Lord is there. To close things out today, I, w- I want to tell you. I want to tell you a story. Um, I'm a pilot, uh, not like a big airplane pilot. I am a pilot's running my family. My father, uh, my, my my grandfather flew P two V Neptunes uh, for uh, the Navy. Was stationed at NAS. Um, died uh, when my dad was five years old. And uh, so I never got to know him. Uh, but my dad wound up becoming a pilot. He, uh, before he went into ministry, he, uh, he flew for Clay County Sheriff's Department, uh, extraditing prisoners around the country. Um, and so I just, I grew up loving airplanes. And, uh, and so here I am, uh, 40 years old. I love to fly whenever I get the chance, which isn't all that often. Uh, but I love watching videos of Air Force pilots who are going through pilot training. Um if you've never heard about, about how they go through pilot training, so you have to simulate uh, the force of gravity on you. So uh, just a quick lesson in, uh, in physics. When when uh, when you're flying, you pull back on the stick, uh, the the forces of gravity exponentially grow. They multiply. So um, if you're pulling two Gs, I'm 300 pounds, uh, that would be 600 pounds essentially of, of, of force. Uh, imagine if I'm pulling eight Gs, I'm like 2,400 pounds. It's really bad. Okay, um, and what happens is when when and so they put these pilots into what's called a centrifuge, uh, which is a cockpit setup that is that that it goes around and around around in a circle. As you go around and around and around the circle, it will simulate the force of gravity uh, pulling G's in an airplane and they, they video these pilots and what happens is with the more um, forces of gravity gets pulled into or gets, gets uh, brought into your body your body goes into protection mode and it protects your internal organs so it pulls uh, blood from your extremities from your hands from your feet and from your head so that it protects your, your major organs and in the brain, when, when, you, uh, when you, you begin to deal with what's called hypoxia, which is the lack of oxygen in your brain, uh, your vision begins to contract. And I think it was a, there may be a picture of, uh, of one of these. This is what it looks like when a, when a pilot uh, is pulling. See, at that point, um, he, was, uh, he wasn't even pulling two Gs. This is right at the very end. Um, when, in this video, when he was pulling eight Gs, you see him. His eyes are wide open, and then all of a sudden, he just starts to... And then that vision begins to contract to the point that all he can see is the instrument cluster right in front of him. And then if, if, uh, if the, the force of gravity is pulling on you too hard for too long, you'll actually pass out. And you'll, see so you'll see these guys are going around and all of a sudden they just go. It's called, it's a, a uh, phenomenon that's called tunnel vision. Y'all ever heard of Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. At that point, they are are trained to focus on the instrumentation right in front of them because they can't see everything else that's going on around them. I think the Israelites had a little bit of tunnel vision. I think that, that they became so consumed with the problems that were right in front of them that they couldn't see God's provision that was all around them. And when you can't see the provision that's all around them, they begin to focus on those problems and they begin to grumble. I don't know about you. When I begin to deal with hard times in my life, and this is how depression works, church. This is how Satan gets a foothold in our lives. We become so consumed on the problems in front of us, we can't see God who is still there, who's around us. And in those moments, we have to be trained in the Word of God that, God, even when we can't see you, we know that you're there. Whatever you walked in with today, church, God is still there. He is still for you. He still loves you. He still cares about you. You were lost, and he found you. So that those of us that are in Christ never can be truly lost again. Church, what a promise for us. Let's don't make the same mistakes Israel made. Even in the hard times, let's don't get so lost that we forget that He is still there. And wherever Jesus is, is where I want to be. Let's embrace what God's doing here today. Father, we love you and we honor you. In these moments... When, when we are so consumed by our circumstances, may we remember that you are still holy, you are still sovereign, you are still good, and you are still there. That you're with us in the hard times. God, remind us that you not only give us water for our souls, you give us honey from the rock. God, may we never take our eyes off Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before us. And he endured the cross, despised its shame, but didn't stay dead. He resurrected and is now seated at your right hand. And he is our God. He is the one who is for us, who is working on our behalf as our high priest. God, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would find you today, that you would make yourself known And they would trust you as Savior. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.